Hey everybody, this is Mark. A quick programming note to this episode. Uh, We typically record each episode at the same time each week. Sometimes we adjust it based on a game coming up. We weren't able to this time, so as noted in the episode, we recorded this one before the Denver Nuggets game. Remember how you felt then? It was nice, right? I mean, I think hopefully you can listen to this and it will take you back to that moment. We will fully address that game in our next episode. And spoiler alert, um, in the big picture, it didn't change any views, at least I expressed on this. And I think I can also say that for Doug. So we'll digest that more in the next one, including um, interpretations of that game under Doug's 2050 rule, which, you know, it's still with the committee and being um, evaluated for the proper interpretation, but that is forthcoming. And uh, yeah, no, just enjoy this one. It's fun. Um, Our guests are some of my favorite people in the world, and I think it's a really fun one. And with that, we'll, we'll get into it. Thanks. Welcome to the podcast for the NBA team that draws the line at six quarters of Austin Rivers embarrassment, the Utah Jazz. Doug, we are on an 11-game win streak, and I don't know, I can think of nothing that uh, to complain about other than having to watch Austin Rivers for six quarters, and we'll get to that later. Uh, how are you, man? I'm great. I mean, I don't, I don't know how I could not be great right now. Um, we're recording this um, Sunday morning pre-Denver Nuggets game. So we're trying to throw out some good vibes into the into the universe that this is just going to be a great weekend, um, and a great week in general. So, so go Jazz today. Yeah. Hashtag context and confidence. The context um, is that people should understand that the bulk of this, if not all of it, was recorded before the Nuggets game. If need be, we'll do an emergency couple minutes later tonight, post Nuggets game. But the confidence part is we just know we're going to win that game already. So we're sticking to our regular, regularly scheduled programming, right? And let's, uh, Doug, let's let's talk about what happened this week. Wait, what happened this week? Well, Mark, so far we've played three games this week, and it's been a th- big three and zero week. Um, we're continuing on an eleven game winning streak right now, pushing for twelve today. Um, but the de- Jazz started off with their revenge game against the Nuggets, which is the last team to beat the the Knicks. Knicks. The Knicks. Um, it's the silent K and then the N sound. It just all threw me off, you know. Um, I, to me, I always spell Nuggets with a K. Whenever I say yeah. revenge, it's got to be the Knicks, right? But or the Nuggets. Wow, I can't even talk. Um, so it was the Knicks. We played the Knicks, um, and the Jazz won one hundred eight to ninety four. Then. As previewed in our last podcast, if you listened, um, with Mavs super fan McKay Richens, um, we played him twice on Wednesday and then on Friday, and we got two W's, different games, same outcome, Mark. Um, yeah, shout out to McKay. That was a super fun podcast, and I think even after those two games would still be fun if you've if you've missed that one and haven't listened to it yet. But if you know McKay and you see McKay, just just give him a hug. I mean, after those two games, like, you know, McKay, we love you. Uh, hugs from afar. There will be better days. But, man, uh, those two were fun if you were on this side of, of that uh, two-team conversation. Uh, yeah, Doug, let's go to the Knicks game. Um, and that was my joke was, I mean, the Knicks were the last team to beat us. They, they kind of are a funky matchup for us. And I listened to David Locke after, and he was kind of saying this, too. There's just some teams that – sort of give you a hard time depending on how they do. There's The Knicks actually have a lot of big 
athletic dudes. And then they've got Austin Rivers, who every time he plays the Jazz, uh, morphs into George Gervin or something um, and just cannot be stopped from scoring. Um, I believe he had 20 – did he have 25 points in the first half without a miss? 10 for 10. And that came after – 10 for 10. And that came after um, four quarters of him embarrassing us in Madison Square Garden. But that's what I mean. The Jazz draw the line at six quarters of that crap. And then in the second half, he didn't score again. And uh, and the Jazz took care of business. Can I, can I ask you just a, a question on your real thoughts about that? Yeah. Do you think that the Jazz took him out? Or was it just Tom Thibodeau not playing him in the beginning of the third quarter? I don't think he played for like the first half of the third quarter after he had literally just been like walking around with fireballs in his hands. And then he came out and he was just, I mean, we weren't going to let it happen, but I, it almost feels like he was sitting on the bench. Like you said, um, with old like NBA live, you, whatever you have to make three shots to be on fire. I like he was literally NBA jam. Um, a ball of flame sitting on the bench. And I think like maybe they gave him too much Gatorade or something. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know. His mask like tamped the fire down while he was sitting on the bench. I mean, I'm, I'm here, not in this podcast, because we've got enough other stuff to talk about, but I'm definitely here for the Tom Thibodeau, is he good conversation. <laughs> I mean, I, in some ways, and he's got them playing hard, but yeah, I've, it felt like it. Honestly, in the second half, I kind of forgot that Austin Rivers played so well in the first half for the reason you're saying. It's like he was gone, the Jazz kind of just took over. And then it was like, oh yeah, remember when Austin Rivers was tormenting us like 45 minutes ago? But. Um, my thought was this, Doug, um, rather than that, uh, rather than give any credit to Tom Thibodeau, I want to call back to our podcast from a few weeks ago where we were asking, who's our dog? You know, who's, who's our junkyard dog? And do you know who I did not feel like I was going to give you the answer for, but I'm going to give you the answer for now? Oh, I'm excited. Michael Conley Jr., did you watch him in the third quarter, man? He had two plays where he got on the floor to grab a ball that resulted in something awesome. I did tweet, we're big George Niang fans here. There was this play where Mike kind of lost the ball in the paint, dives on the ground, wrestles it away, passes it out to Joe, moves around to a wide open George Niang for three, and then he just missed it. And I was like, George should get fined for missing that because I wanted that as a highlight for the next 40 years of my life <laughs> George ended up hitting a three later George played well I was just kidding but um Mike had that and he had that play or maybe it was the same one there was two plays where he like ran and and saved the ball from going out of bounds that resulted in a bucket and I just thought his energy and the energy of my other answer for who's our dog which was a more predictable one were the difference in this game I mean Mike Conley has been amazing more on him to come I think but in that quarter, I just thought he's not only so much friskier on offense, he's been friskier on defense, and he's just been hustling. I mean, he's our like one of our oldest players, and he's out there making those kind of plays. It was awesome. Yeah, um, this was a Mike Conley week for sure. This has been a Mike Conley stretch of the whole season. Um, but it's a Mike Conley kind of year. Yeah, this is the twenty twenty one. Is can we really? Br- like switch it to 2021 Mike Conley? I don't know. 2021 Junior? Yeah. Mike 2020. Yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll workshop this, but I'm with you. I also thought this was an awesome um Royce O'Neal game offensively. I just felt this like This was the this was the Royce O'Neal game. Can we call it that? Yeah. I think we can. Yeah, call yeah, it. yeah. 
Um, he was slashing. He was confident dunking. Um, he just looks so good. I was like, who who is this Royce O'Neal? Um, and especially, yeah, just especially where it was kind of a rougher beginning of the game, but then we just finished it off strong and Royce was confident. We're always looking for confident Royce as we're talking about our our the dog of our team. Um, but not to... Not to be glossed over, this is also... Was it Austin Rivers who popped Donovan Mitchell in the face? We we actually don't know for sure when he got a concussion, but this is the... the I remember getting hit in the face. Uh, I can't remember. I don't... I don't think it was Austin Rivers, but I'm going to blame Austin Rivers. I'm going to say that it was. If if it that. wasn't Austin Rivers, Austin Rivers was probably telling someone else to do it. But he was involved. Yeah. I think Doc Rivers. I, it was the whole Rivers family. If we're being honest about it, they've been conspiring for it for, for years. Yeah. But can I, let me, let's just real quick, Doug. Royce O'Neal's stat line for this game. Seven for 12 from the field. Two for five from three. Six rebounds. Two assists. 20 points. But he was everywhere. Almost had a nasty dunk that would have just brought the whole building down. But this week he had a couple awesome alley-oop catch dunks on passes from Mike. He, it was a really strong Royce game. And I honestly, you know, we've been on, I've been on here sort of wondering about Royce earlier in the season. I think what you said, his confidence in shooting the three early, it, it really felt like it started in that Warriors game last week. And just carried over through this whole week, where he just came out and just they're gonna they're gonna, he's gonna get open threes in the first quarter, and if he takes them, guess what? He's shooting like is what is he forty six percent for the season? I mean, open for a reason? No, not this guy. I guess he's open because everybody's a pretty good shooter on the team, but Royce O'Neal is doing great. I guess he's forty four percent right now, um, and those early threes and his willingness to take them has been pretty massive yeah um and a point to just throw in the pod podosphere um over the zoomosphere is that the jazz shot 48 threes which is not 50 but it's still a lot well thank you for taking me there because that's actually the next thing on my notes doug because i get that look doug's 2050 law is not quite as dogmatic and i'm i'm interpreting you're the one who gave us the law and i'm interpreting it now um as as lawler's law and i think i've called it rob lawler's i think his name's ralph lawler so <laughs> apologies to mr lawler but lawler's law is the first team to get to 100 wins um you know our argument here has been it's a little outdated um it's still pretty close to successful the team score more points now but your rule is this if the jazz either make 23s or attempt 53s um they will win the game and early in this game they were shooting threes, man. They shot like 15 attempts in the first quarter, I believe, and they were not making them. No. This was a game. <laughs> this was a game where um, Donovan Mitchell was two for nine from three, and who knows how much of that he was concussed for. So we'll say that. But I think like his two came late, and uh, and Jordan Clarkson was two for ten from three, and I tweeted early. This game is going to test the 50 part of Doug's 2050 rule. But I thought there was no way we weren't getting to 50, and it was looking ugly at first. But the theory behind this is the three-point attempts open up the space for the offense, A, and B, the Jazz are such good shooters that even if they're not making them early, they need to be persistent, they need to get them up, they'll go on a run, and yeah, they finished at 31%, which is nothing to write home about. But Doug, I say... 15 for 48 and a come from behind win 
in convincing fashion is another win for Doug's 2050 rule because the principles underlying a rule, the theory behind a rule, prove themselves out. The Jazz, in a game like this a couple years ago, in all seriousness, in a game like this a couple years ago, the Jazz start out shooting three that bad. They retrench. It starts to be long twos. It starts to be bad floaters at the rim, but they did not. They kept playing their offense, and I, I, I get that it wasn't a three-point barrage that necessarily got them back in, but it was staying true to their offense, buckling down on defense, fantastic defensive half, and uh, 15 for 48, that's a Doug's 2050 rule victory in my opinion. I like it. I, I think I'm just going to start saying things, just matter of fact, and have you explain them. And I think that... <laughs> that's, why you have, that's why you hire me as your counsel. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we've got a good tag team there because that was anything and more that I could have said. So I think it, I think that it's time that we move to the, to the Mavs series, two-game series. Let's do it. Um, I love it. But if you, if you subscribe to the Inside the NBA TNT um, methodology of what a superstar is, the Jazz played a superstar two times this week who is Luka Doncic leading his team in points, rebounds, and assists. Who knows about leadership, pace of play, and defense, but um, he's definitely got those statistics down. And as nervous as playing a quote-unquote Inside the NBA superstar can make you feel... Um, I I have to say the Jazz were not phased, not not the slightest. What do you think about that? I agree. Um, look, Doug, we were nervous about this series a little bit because the Mavericks were coming back sort of full st- full strength health or close to it for the first time this season. Now, obviously, they have some stuff to work out on that front, but they were full strength. We were not. No Donovan Mitchell, no Derek Favors. They'd lost a few games coming in. I think they'd lost two or three in a row um, and we're struggling. It just felt like they could, there was a chance they were the hungrier team. No early on. No, I mean, not to spoil the whole series, more thoughts on the second game to come, but both games, the jazz just hit them in the mouth early. Um, we'll talk about this a little bit more in our second segment with our dad, but um, I just thought that was great. And in particular, um, Joseph Howarth Ingles came out and just said, Hey, I'm, I'm this dude. And uh, we're this team. And to me, this was one of the funnest games of the season in the sense that he came in, and this is nothing of a statement of Donovan Mitchell. It's just awesome teams do this. It's like, hey, it's my turn, not in a selfish way, but in just like, I'm excited to be that guy today. And everybody else is excited that I'm that guy today. And Joe Ingles just came out and was spitting fire. He made seven threes um, and right off the bat and just said, hey, we're not we're not taking a step back because of uh, Donovan Mitchell being out. Wow, we're just going to pummel you. And uh, I loved it. Also, this is my takeaway from this series is um, there used to be this show called Battle of the Network Stars, and it was like you'd take like TV personalities and have them compete in a bunch of athletic challenges. And there was other ones where it's like athletes from different sports was, would compete against each other and stuff like rock climbing, etc. I want a series of that, but just Joe Ingles versus Luka Doncic. That's, that's, I just like, I, I would, I would watch that religiously. Oh, oh I, I love it. I think I would watch that too. Um, I think, um, you're totally right. This joke played so well and it was just like when we played really well without Joe, we can play really well without Donovan too. Cause guess what? We have a really deep team. Um, and we would be remiss to mark 
Demarcus Kai and Hinsey, we would be remiss to not talk about the fact that our our man love um, Rudy Gobert had a twenty twenty over here with twenty nine points and twenty rebounds. Um, Is that good? Rudy was Rudy was next level. Yeah, that's that's really good actually. Is the message you, there that if you're over seven feet tall, you can just get twenty nine and twenty if you um, you know close your eyes and and wish upon a star like Shaquille O'Neal? Yeah, and, was and and you just. Get, Poof, like 200 million is in your bank account or something like Actually, that. Actually, Doug, I like this. I was listening to the Hitting the High Notes podcast, um, and my high school friend, um, Hema Hamuli, was on, and it was great. And and Logan and and Jared and Hema and who were talking about Shaq, and they just only referred to him as Kazam. And I'm going to adopt that from now on. So Kazam, um, I'm not sure if that impressed Kazam or not, uh, but it was a pretty good stat line for Rudy Gobert. Um, did you read the, and this is going to sound super unprepared, but did you read the Utah legislation on Spida and Shaq um, and everything? I saw I saw a little clip from it, or of the, maybe it wasn't even just a picture, but that was funny. Yeah, yeah I started to read that. It was tackling the Tackling the tough issues. Um, you know what else, though, Doug? Uh, Jordan Clarkson, did he have 20-something at, at the half, over 20 points in the first half? Jordan Clarkson was amazing in this game. His second quarter was great. Um, I think he finished with 31. Am I right? 31, I just yeah. lost that box score. Uh, it was awesome. And bleeding over into both games, um, Mike Conley was fantastic. And Mike Conley leads the NBA in plus minus by something like the equivalent distance from Los Angeles to California and miles it Mike Conley is so far ahead in plus minus he's like he's like got a John Stockton career assists lead over Jason Kidd kind of distance and plus minus from the next guy and the next guy is Rudy Gobert or wait was Rudy Gobert like fourth? anyway yeah. yeah and then after that it's like LeBron and Kawhi I mean whatever is happening right now is that if Mike Conley is on your team and on the court you're beating the other team by like 20 points a game. Yeah. I don't know. What's your explanation for this? Um, honestly, I don't even know. Um, did you read the, and, and, oh, I'm going to get the right Andy this time. The Andy Larson article. I, I did. I'm so glad you brought it up. Cause I wanted to talk about this too. Go ahead. Oh, great. We totally need to break this down. It honestly reminded me so many, of uh, so many of the things that I have forgotten about post coronavirus, like Mike Conley's debut game with the jazz he when he just wanted to come out and play awesome, he went one for sixteen. Um, or his transition from how different and the article was really cool. So we're we're gonna definitely tweet this out. I've already retweeted it, but um, Andy Larson from the from the Trib. Um, just if you haven't read really this, go read it. Go read it right now, or maybe as soon as you're done listening yeah. to this, or at the same time, SaltLakeTribune.com is fantastic. Right, and he just chronicles really Mike Conley's year and a half with the Jazz and everything that he's wanted to do and maybe what he hasn't been able to do and how he's kind of transitioned into his own. Um, I just think I, something that I liked is that he got a um, a PhD in one style of basketball while he was with the Grizzlies, and now he's just going back to grad school. And guess what, Mark? I'm in grad school right now, and it takes some figuring out. Um, you're not the best student term one, maybe. Um, and guess what? Mike Conley, 
he's he's got a doctorate in amazingness and beauty and basketball success right now. Um, and I'm loving it. Season two, Mike Conley equals term two, Doug Hensey in grad school, your blog post coming soon on calhighglobe.com. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I love it. I mean, he's, he's every aspect of his game looks different than last year. Offensively, defensively, off the ball, on the ball. He started shooting really well at the end of last season and that has continued, but it's different now. Like that was more catch and shoot stuff. He's shooting aggressively in the fast break. He's shooting aggressively off Gobert screens. He's, he's, been awesome and he is my new candidate for our last week's topic of actually and i hope it's many many years from now and that we extend him that my prediction is mike conley will be the tony romo of the nba broadcast i think Mm. he's sort of the perfect um point guard just really smart super likable he's my one that's who i choose yeah um you just gotta love Mike, and he's just so awesome. He's just such a humble guy, and he has really, just like he said, like his game is so different. He's just completely had to change the way he's played, and he's so successful right now. So Mike has been fun. Um, I just thought this second Dallas game was really fun. I felt like um, Dallas, even from their coaching standpoint. Came, they said they were coming into this game hoping to have a little bit more fire. And, you know, second game of a back-to-back, you'd think that those are usually a split, which we debunked with the Pelicans series um, a week ago but or two weeks ago. But this was just a game of people coming out. Mike was amazing. Um, Juwan Morgan came out of nowhere. And um, guess what? Bogey played awesome and hopefully we can bookmark this as like the bogey coming out game um yeah but it was just really fun can and i, tell I you hope one it's thing? with a handsome another handsome croatian man oh we're talking yeah. about his basketball play either <laughs> <Right>. way <laughs> we support bogey in any any of his interests um but something that i thought was fun and that i often have griped about on this podcast is the lack of representation of the jazz and before the game yesterday, or two days ago, um, I got an email from ESPN saying, saying, watch out. It was Giannis versus Zion, and then it was Luca versus Gobert. And that finally, like finally, we at least get the man's Thank name you. out there on an email list. <laughs> rather than it just saying, he was watch, watch Luca. Yeah. He, yeah, so, exactly. and he was fantastic again, too. Well, here's the thing that I felt like they finally did us one favor, Doug. You know me. A Friday night with Doris Burke. You kidding me? It was so fun. I mean, and I think Dave Pash is one of the better guys as well. I think that's one of the better broadcast teams. But Doris was so fun. And she had like four different soliloquies about Rudy Gobert's screening that I could just listen yes. on wax, on repeat till the end. Um, she was nice. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm showing you my notes right here, and it says Doris Burke screen assist smiley face. <laughs> well, that was. Did you see? Okay, people give jazz fans and jazz media crap all the time, especially David Locke about the screen assist. But the all state assist of the game was Doris Burke walking through two Rudy Gobert screen assists. So David Locke, if he wasn't like 
fist pumping and like splashing coffee against the wall and happiness. He should have been um, because that was pretty cool. And they were beautiful screens. Um, look, it was awesome. Also, Joe Ingles passed John Stockton on the all time three point list for the Jazz, which was fun. I mean, I, I you know, we love John Stockton. And we love Joe Ingles. And it's just, I mean, there's not going to be a lot of passing John Stockton records going on in the in the rest of basketball. And if anyone's going to pass him in anything, I want it to be Joe. And, it, and that, that was fun to me. Yeah, that was really fun. It's just so fun. Interesting to see how much the game has changed because I don't have the number here, but uh, like the number of games played by John Stockton to get to the number that he did versus the number of games played by Joe Ingles. Um, I, that was fun. That was cool for Joe. And it was just a cool game in general. And, and just as a recap from the end of the week, Mark, the Jazz are sitting here, um, 19 games in before today, 15 and four with the, can I say the number one or yeah, number one overall record in the league. Um, and I I think you can, because it's a dead true fact it is it is literally black and white they are the number one record in the nba and this is one question that i have for you mark so the jazz have the best record in the nba yeah um when you've got the best record you've probably got some valuable people and one thing that people in nba media always like to throw out is mvp candidates and you can't be the top team without a couple of candidates, right? Um, but if you were to look at the Jazz right now, would you say that there is like an MVP candidate from everything that's going on? This is my theory, Doug. If an alien like spaceship that was focused on basketball landed on our planet and with no context or history of basketball prior to this season, only watched this season study that these are sophisticated beings they've made it across space they figured out life speed type travel in a way that we can't like we can't get to other um life forms yet it fast enough we have to have like cryogenic sleep i watched all the aliens movies these guys have passed that so they're sophisticated they've broken down the numbers they're in 538 they're like reading the source code do you know what their takeaway is Mike Conley Jr. is one of the five best basketball players alive. That's what their takeaway is. Because if you break down any number, maybe their analysis is more sophisticated and they can understand us better than us. But just plus minus, I mean, I get that box plus minus is a flawed stat. And yeah, the Jazz are winning a lot of games. So that's going to be higher. And Rudy is second. And those two play together a lot. How do you parse it? On all the other like ELO ratings, all the stuff that's on Raptor, on 538, Mike Conley is one of the best five basketball players alive this season. So, I mean, obviously, there's nobody who's considering him for MVP other than a few crazies on Jazz Twitter, myself included. But it's kind of him. I mean, you, it's hard to argue with Rudy Gobert's impact. Um, I mean, we've we've proclaimed it up and down the street for um, a couple years now. Um, and it's no less this season. But his offensive numbers um traditional ones aren't gaudy enough that he's going to get consideration by the end of the season you think donovan mitchell has the most likely chance to be in the conversation and he besides that Knicks game has played very 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 well of late and he is kind of the offensive engine i mean there's no doubt about that but it's more like the jazz are in this egalitarian offense that doesn't lend itself to a traditional mvp candidate clearly donovan mitchell is the one who would 
most likely fall into it. But with the way Mike's playing, I don't think it's I don't think we're at our best if Donovan's getting 30 a game. I think we're at the best if if he's sort of 25, 5, and 5, and Mike is between 17 and 20, and Rudy's down in 12 to 14, and Bogey's at 15, and then insert Royce, Joe, or whoever. And guess what? I I'm more interested in who's gonna be the finals MVP. And I hope it's Rudy isn't Gobert. That, isn't just that for poetic so fun? justice. Yeah, it's so fun. Um I think that that is so fun. I, I think it's I a weird bas- year for MVP generally though. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Um, I, I just think basketball is a team sport and I think it's gotten away from from teams. And the Jazz are a team, you know? Yeah. Like like you said, you looked at you watched the, this is in our second segment. Um we recorded in reverse, but that's what we always do. Yep. Um you talked about how you watched the Celtics Lakers game and you felt like um that there isn't any reason why the Jazz couldn't beat either of those teams, especially the Lakers. The Lakers aren't a team, you know? No. I mean, they're they are a team. The I mean, Lakers they have a fun a culture. They have a fun culture. I think LeBron has created a fun, and they've been winning, so they're like yeah. having fun together. But it's not like you're watching a cohesive unit, like when you right. watch the Jazz or the like the old Warriors teams. And I just think, I just think the Jazz are fun, man. So I, I don't know. I feel like if it's worth talking awards, um, Donovan got an award this week, the NBA Cares Community Assist Award, which is awesome. 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 Um, Mike Conley, six or uh, Jordan Clarkson, six man. Rudy. Jordan Clarkson is running away with the sixth man of the year, running away with it. Magic Johnson is tweeting about it, and Magic Johnson is for those who aren't on Twitter, the captain obvious of Twitter. He like <laughs> normally just tweets like Jordan Clarkson had twenty six points and two rebounds today. You know, I mean, like he just reads off the box score. He's saying it. Um, so I, I mean, who was here first on that? Who's here first saying the jazz have never had a sixth man of the year. The NBA has small market bias and Jordan Clarkson should have been considered last year. It was you, Doug. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was us last season. So. <laughs> us. But I just, one thing on the MVP thing is that it's a weird year because I, I mean, I think LeBron's going to win as long as the Lakers are top two. He's playing incredible. He deserves it. But like people who've been competitive last year, I, I just don't think there's any way they give it to Giannis. I think the 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 narrative is sort of tired and soured on him after a couple playoff letdowns. I just don't think they will. James Harden, nope, he's kind of ruled out this year. Luca is like second in betting odds as of yesterday. I saw this on Twitter. They're eight and eleven. Luca's not going to win it. Um, so it's like, could it be Kevin Durant? Maybe if the Nets finish at the top of the East, Joel Embiid, I think, is a real contender right now because the Sixers are doing good, but there's a real chance that the jazz sort of end up in first. And I think they're going to have somebody probably Donovan higher in the voting than they've had in a long time. That, that's, that's what I, the way the whole season shakes out Doug right now in five thirty eight, their projected record is 50 and 22. They didn't win 50 games in a, in a full season last year. I guess it wasn't totally a full season, but uh, that's pretty cool. They're predicting the Lakers at 51 and 21, the jazz at 50 and 22, the Clippers at 51 and 21 and, and nobody else that close to 50. And those are right now their ratings have the jazz as the second best team um, after the Lakers. So I don't know. Uh, it's we're having fun, right? Yeah. Um, 2021 is supposed to be fun. Well, should we, and... 
Should we yeah. jump into our segment too? Because I think that one's a fun one. I agree. Okay. Segment two. <laughs> Yay! Douglas, this is segment two. This is our pod friend segment. And 11 game win streaks make me think of one thing first and foremost, Doug. And it's family. Well, what's what's an 11 game win streak about more than um, family celebration? Am I right? Yeah, I think I think that was what we were both thinking. And for that reason, specifically, so. um, we were trying to think of what numbers go or what things go with the number 11. And if you were to rank how awesome our parents are from a scale from one to 10, it's an 11. So this is a parents pod. And we brought in. Danger Diane and Crazy Kai here to to give us a good segment too for this podcast. Yeah, um, and and Danger Diane is so darn dangerous that we're she's going to be the your treat at the end of this thing. Um, Crazy Kai. The other reason I've thought with eleven is eleven is the average number of children in a family in the state of Utah, <laughs> and so it makes sense for us to bring a small portion of our fifteen member uh, family. Just kidding, uh, for the listeners, five kids. Um, but more, more importantly, with dad, other than just family, is we're on this pod. We care about the history of the franchise, Doug. We care about the integrity of of history, and not not from necessarily just a, a books and records standpoint, but from the oral history. We kind of take like an old Eastern um, culture tradition of passing down jazz lore from generation to generation and value the spoken word um, historical record. Kind of like kind of like Homer's The Odyssey. That, that's our dad teaching us about jazz history. Um, so what say you, dad, you've gotten father of the pod, Crazy Kai, and now um, the Utah Jazz Homer uh, as your nicknames here just in the last 90 seconds. I like it, I love it. But hey, <laughs> let, let, me, let me tie in number 11. Um, okay. And we're hoping it's just going to keep growing because Crazy Diane and Cool Kai or whatever. <laughs> we have 11 grandchildren. And, oh, there it is. Okay, that's a more sensible statistic. Not, nothing yeah, against we, we, the 11 we children. Get, people. We didn't get 11 children, but we have 11 <laughs> grandchildren. And we're hoping that that increases. I hope we, and for the listeners, I think we mentioned this, we'll mention this in segment one. But uh, we're recording this pre the Nuggets game. So, if we lose um, this game and don't get to the 12 game win streak, we all know that it's on Doug to get us a 12th grandchild <laughs> ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> or one of our sisters. We're, um, we're definitely basking in the 11, though, that's for sure. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, the, 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 the inspiration for this segment, Doug, Dad, was um, I've seen a lot of this bubbling up on Twitter, and maybe I've even bubbled it up a little bit myself, but it is the sort of conversation that this is the most fun jazz team to watch since X, or this is the best jazz team since X or Y or whatever, you know, algebraic um, symbol you want to use. And obviously the big caveat here, can we just be, we'll just say this once and then throw it out. We're 18 games into the season. Everybody understands that everybody's not trying to compare this season in its entirety to the 1996 through 98 Utah jazz. That said, let's have some let's have some fun with it. So my thought, I'll give you my baseline thought. 
is my immediate jump is comparing to the 2006 to 2008 Darren Williams, Carlos Boozer at all range. In particular, I think a lot of hardcore jazz fans think that 2007, 2008 team that um, I think won 54 games, lost to the Lakers in a tough second round series, kind of got Kyle, you know, Kyle Korver was in full effect sort of as the Jeff Hornacek trade piece um, was a historically underrated team that if they ever could have just all been healthy and clicked really had a shot. But I want to, I'm going to give you two teams closer. Let's just first like dismiss in order of operations. Um, the last two years were both very good. One year we, we won a bunch of close games last year and didn't win by a significant enough of a margin in the games we should have two years ago, the Ricky Rubier, Rubio area, we killed everybody we were supposed to, and we lost all the close games. Both ended in James Harden defeat. I think we all feel like this team's sort of a combination of those and has a higher ceiling. The one other one I want to sort of go to is the, the last season of he who normally is not named on this podcast, uh, Gordon Hayward. That team was good. The team was really, really good. Gordon was great. We Part of the reason we all hate him on this podcast, or at least me, is that it took seven years or whatever to finally like the guy because he was so darn unlikable um, and for us to grow on him. And he was so good that year. Rudy was really coming into his own. Joe Johnson was amazing. Derek Favors had a great year. Rodney Hood was in his sort of right place in the basketball hierarchy on that team. Um, and George Hill, when his toe wasn't hurting, was fantastic. And so... That team, I remember Joe Ingles' interview saying we thought we were a 60-win team, if not for injuries, and I think they were right. But there was a lurking giant there called the Warriors that was the best team of our lifetime, and they smothered them defensively and killed them offensively, and I don't think that Jazz team ever had a realistic shot against them, which is why I say to scale, even if not on the roster alone, I think on the roster alone anyways, this team is more competitive. Also, it's just more fun to watch because Gordon Hayward, forget that guy. Um, does anybody, do either of you have a qualm with me sort of dismissing that recent and me going all the way back to 2007, eight era to try to find a team that was as fun or had as high of a ceiling as this one? Um, just because I know dad has the best insight coming forward. I'll say that there are one more. I'll agree with you, Mark. I think that as far as the overall, like just what you said, just having fun. I think, I think this is a lot more fun of a team as far as just the feeling like there's a chance for them to actually do something special in the end, it also seems like no, no looming warriors, stuff like that. So I agree. Cool. I could hear Lydia agreeing with me in the background. She was like, Doug, just, just say you're right. Right. Uh, (laughs) Okay. I, I, I think the Darren Williams boozer memo Corver years, I, they were fun and they were awesome. But I, I want to take, I want to open another back door and go a little bit further back. And, and you know, the Jazz came to, to Utah in the 79 season, the beginning of 79 season, I think. And, and I was out of the country at the time. But, but when I came back, I mean, it was comprised of Adrian Dantley, AD, Golden, Daryl Griffiths, Golden Griff, and Ricky Green, the, the fastest of them all. And, 11 other guys that no one's ever heard of and you need to Google search into the 10th realm. Before in, you find in my memory, those 11 other guys and 11 the fun number of the pod all just were variations of Mark Ivoroni. 
and kind of looked like, is that right? And we loved Mark at the time. There's a fantastic, like, maybe it's Tom Kirkland or maybe it's, um, who's the guy that did sports? Uh, Jim Nance. Jim Nance is interviewing John Stockton, Mark Ivoroni, and six other white guys that are on the jazz sitting in a hot tub. Oh, It's like tub, a yeah. <laughs> sports beat segment yeah. that, uh, Jeremiah Jensen shared that uh, during the pandemic at one point. And it was a lovely treat. That was a weird <laughs> nucleus. That was a weird nucleus. Uh, okay. But I want to say something about that team. When they came to Salt Lake and those, that, those three guys and all the other guys, they all had a name and, and they were fun, but we were not a good basketball team. And in, and in 1981, the Jazz lost 18 games in a row. So before we get into the winning streak, we got to talk about they were they were bad. They had an 18 game losing streak in that year. And over the next five years, to me, this is the funnest team. And in 1982, he wasn't a first round draft choice, but they drafted Mark Eaton and he had played for UCLA, but I think he was working at a Jiffy Lube. I think he was changing oil or changing tires in a garage and Frank Layton went and found him and, and asked him if he'd play basketball. So in 82, they got Mark Eaton and I know a lot of on-the-fence jazz fans and jazz haters, no one's ever, ever going to give Mark Eaton any respect. But he was 7'4", and he was 290 pounds. He made the all-star team. I think he still holds the NBA record for, for block shots. And, and two years for two years of while he played, he was the defensive player of the year. He was a monster. And you compare him to Rudy Gobert, who's 7'1 and 250. I mean, this guy was a presence. And, and kind of like Rudy, John Stockton had three passes that if he got it just perfect and Mark Eaton was running at the right pace, he could catch the ball in the air and dunk it and, and score some points. But in 82, they got Mark Eaton. In 83, they got Thurl Bailey. Hold on one second, Dad, because let's just – I want to acknowledge that this is a credit to your parenting that all 11 of your children could under a lie detector test – tell that Frank Layden story that's probably made up about him going to a Jiffy Loop. Also, I want to know, I think he was like a fifth round draft pick or something like that. I believe this was the time when the draft was at least out four or five rounds. He I think he had six rounds. Yeah. yeah, he was way back there. Because this is one of those things I remember as a kid being like, wait, Mark Eaton was like the fifth round draft pick. And Mark Eaton was like back end of the career when I saw him. But I think you're, and I think the block one, and this is the only statistical sort of policing that will go on in this segment because there are other podcasts for that. I think it was like the, he's the single season average or something record, right? I mean, he had like one season where he averaged like over five blocks a game or something crazy. If I'm, if I'm, I, I don't know if he's, has, I think he has over 400 career blocks. Maybe that's not, oh, does he have the, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, Mark Eaton, we love Mark Eaton, I guess is the bottom line there. Mark Eaton. All right. So we're, yeah. we're, we're donating him some respect here. Yep. Earl Bailey comes the next year and he had just won a national championship at North Carolina state. Um, and this is the beginning of 20 years of playoff. I mean, the jazz had not been in the playoffs before this Stockton's uh, drafted the next year, Carl Malone the next year. And then, and then heard of him. <laughs> and then uh, the Layton uh, dad and son team, they make a few mistakes. I mean, Del Curry was drafted the next year and he was great. We just didn't, we just didn't invest in him. And Ricky and um, Jose Ortiz, we did invest in him and, and we shouldn't have. So, but that, that nucleus, that nucleus 
they they start winning games and you start believing in them. And I think I think the year to me was the funnest year of, of jazz basketball with with and they didn't have a lot of streaks going on. But the 87, 88 year, the Jazz won 47 games. It was the most they'd ever won. Um, Thurl Bailey was a was just an animal. Ricky Green had just been benched, and Stockton is taking over. And and honestly, we didn't know what John Stockton was. And I think most of Salt Lake was wondering why Ricky wasn't playing. But in the Western Conference semifinal, the Jazz take the Lakers, and I think it's to a seventh game. I think it's. I think they lose the, the seventh game. And all of a sudden, after that season, you believe. You believe the Jazz. They just they just could have beat the Lakers. They got they came so close. And, and after that, you just you just believed in them. And and the Lakers were the eventual champions that year, right? They beat the yeah. Pistons in the finals. And and th- this was I mean, one of the a shout out to David Locke's podcast where he did chronicling like an oral history of, I think, the 92, 93 or maybe the 93, 94 season. They had a lot of stuff about that season, too. And uh, this is this is why we need you on here on this pod, Dad, is to tell us about 1987 to 88 when people are like, hold a second. We got 2008. We need to consider. We got 1998. We can need to consider. Well, let's just. Let's go one more decade back because 1988 was an important year for the Jazz. Apparently, we're probably not going to make the Western Conference Finals or have a real shot again in 2028. So maybe we until 2000. Did we skip 2018? I guess that was our year. Maybe we're just a couple years behind. But every year that ends in an eight. So what's your thought on that that team as compared to this one? Well, I I think. Every year in the national media, and the weird thing was Cleveland had a player named Jim Nance back then, and he he was a beast. And Cleveland was unreal, and the Jazz were unreal. And, you know, from the late 80s into the 90s, they the Jazz go on all sorts of streaks. If you, if you look in, in your history, nine-game streaks, 10-game streaks, 94-95, they had a 14-game, a nine-game, two eight-game streaks. I mean, they – they, they went through lots of streaks and they were good. And so the national media was just saying, this is this, you know, the, these are the, the jazz are going to be a finals team. And I, I remember ESPN did a, uh, a game or a, a show once and they predicted the jazz and the Cavaliers in the final. And this is way before LeBron James and the Cav. you know, Cleveland and Salt Lake city were, are no glamorous cities for the United States. And I think the NBA feared that the NBA finals was going to be Cleveland and, and Salt Lake City just because it was going to be two, two cities that, that don't have a lot of glamour and, and bling. But it never happened. I mean, they just get, but they, they win, they win. The expectation is there. But the 96, nine, the 95, 96 season, they have a nine game, two eight game, a seven game, two six game streaks. They are just good. But I think they had to figure out how to win. And, and I think this year may be the year or next year for the Jazz. And I know everybody talks about the window of opportunities with the, with the great players they have and the stars they have. But even though you're a good team, you have to figure out how to win. And if you're down by 10 points in the last five minutes, and you, and you mentioned the Warriors, I'll bet if you went back and looked how many times the Warriors were down by 10 points within 10 minutes, there were many times. 
But you knew they every were time win. they played the Jazz for like a three-year <laughs> stretch, we didn't win any of those games. Yeah, you knew <laughs> they were going to come and win. They just knew how to win, and and I think this team, when you think of the the '97, '98, and the and the '96, '97 team, those guys knew how to win, and it's it's evident because they had several streaks where where they won several games, and and probably a lot of them they should have lost. But they they knew how to get it done with every second on the on the floor. So when I look now at 97, 17 to 18 and 18 to 19 and last year, those streaks, you know, nine games, 10 games, yeah. several seven game streaks. I think the nucleus now is like that, that 96, 97, 97, 98, those teams where they they had figured out how to win. And those 50-50 games that came down to the last 20 seconds, you knew the Jazz were going to win. And I think this team now is learning that. And, and I have a lot more confidence that they're going to figure out and know how to win. Now, I, I can't say that after after they were in New York uh, last took a couple of weeks. <laughs> we, don't, we have a more recent New York memory now. Um, but the thing that you were saying that has been like my – pump the brakes fear on this is and maybe this is from growing up in the in the 80s and 90s when teams were you know knocking on the door knocking on the door and then and then breaking through even you know the Bulls were that way the Pistons were that way the Lakers were that way before against the Celtics and I just think man this team looks good I watched the Celtics Lakers game last night and I frankly just I mean LeBron James is the is an alien and the best basketball player alive but that Team's not that not I think the Jazz are a better team than them, but you think, do we know how to win in a playoff game? And and we've definitely been making, you know, sort of taking our lumps the last few years, but is this core taking enough of the final lump that they can beat them? Uh that's a that's a, a big question. Also, when you say Jim Nance, are you talking about Larry Nance Sr. there? Did Jim Nance play for the Cleveland Cavaliers? Larry, are we talking about Larry, the Larry Nance Sr. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just so, wanted to so, clarify. So, and that is, is Larry Nance Jr., who does he play for now? He plays for the Cavs, too. Okay. Well, his dad was, he, he was everything in the NBA. He was incredible. And when um, the, uh, along, went against each other, it was, it was just a, a bad, it was a La great. Larry Nance Jr. wore his dad's jersey in the dunk contest a few oh, years ago. Oh, that's right. Which was, that's which right. Which was yeah. very cool. Doug, what what say you to all this? I mean, the one thing that jumped out was the Bucks Jazz would sort of be the Cavs Jazz version of that. Now, if like somehow we met the Bucks, the, then Adam Silver is panicking. In the <laughs> it was like, can you you can imagine a Jazz Lakers and a Bucks Nets um, conference finals, and like, do are we going to be are are the Bucks and the Jazz going to like have? 900 what would the betting line be on the over under for the foul differential in those two series because there's no way no way donovan mitchell is getting to the free throw line in that series and Giannis antetokounmpo is gonna like drop like about anyways something something that i think will be interesting to see that you said dad is talking about all those teams um knowing how to win being down being down in like by 10 with 10 minutes left and coming back to win Something that I saw a statistic on this win streak is that the Jazz have have only trailed in the past 11 games. They've only trailed in the fourth quarter for 57 seconds of all 11 games. 
for less than a minute, then there's 12 minutes in 11 fourth quarters. So that's a lot of minutes. And for less than one minute, they've trailed at all. So I have one thing that I guess made me nervous from what you're saying is that we haven't seen the Jazz come back big. Um, uh, Doug, let me we've just seen them win big. <laughs> Doug, let me, let me make a quick comment. We, Mom and I were watching the game, um, uh, the second Dallas game. So the last, the last game they played. And, you know, that first quarter, they just blew Dallas out. And, and mom said something about it. We were, I think we were listening. We were coming, listening on the radio, coming home from Logan. And, and I said, you just wait and see. By the third quarter, this will be within 10 points, and it's going to be a game. Because the ja- it's just NBA games, there's, there's, there's ebbs and, and highs. and Anyway, and it kind of happened in the second quarter where – Dallas made a run and then in the third quarter they just put the the pedal to the metal again and that surprised me. I thought in the second half that let them back in and they just they just they just buried them again. And so I I kind of walked away thinking maybe this team's better. And I know though we're going to see those games where they get a big lead and and the other team comes back. That that's just that's just the NBA. That's part of the excitement of the NBA. But, but when they put Dallas, when they buried Dallas and didn't let them come back in the second half, it, it made me feel like maybe they are better. And, and so. Well, Dad, that, that brings up one, because one thing I think has been a funny thing that I've seen recurring in jazz um, coverage and social media reaction after each game is I feel like there's been nine games this season where people have said, okay, that's the most impressive win so far. Like, have you guys been seeing this? It's been like all the time it'd be like, we just killed somebody by 30. And then it's like, okay, but that was the most impressive win because we started. But, and I thought that one was one of them because of that. And I also felt the same about the Knicks game because that Knicks team does just kind of match up against the jazz in a frustrating way. And they came out and were behind and then they just end up killing them. And then also the second Pelicans game, has there been a most impressive win so far? Was that it for you, dad? The, that second Mavs game, just the fact that on a back-to-back against an MVP, a team with an MVP candidate, they just were like, now we're just going to kill you. To me, to me, it was because I was completely expecting the jazz, at least for the third quarter to lay down yeah. and, and they didn't. And so I, I thought that was impressive. Especially without Donovan Mitchell. I mean, I, I mean, that was just a total team win. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I thought that was crazy. And, and, and other players too. I mean, they, they were missing some some other great players in that. Yeah, game. and Derek. Derek was yeah. there. I mean, so Morgan, Dad, who is Morgan and where did he come from? And what a great game he had. I love him. I love him. I, I tweeted something that he reminds me of of the kid who had to play X-Men like in all Little League football until like his sophomore year. And then he could was allowed to play um, running back and just gets a four yards of minimum a carry every time. Just kind of the thick dude who's super coordinated athletic. And then I just caveated that with maybe actually he just reminds me of our cousin Troy. Um, <laughs> that's exactly the person who I was thinking of. Um, but I love Juwan Morgan. I love the way he plays. But to your point, Dad, it, that, it, it is like that team. My memory of early 97, 98, and 96, 97, I think there were two 15-game win streaks in those two seasons. Maybe it was one of them. Maybe it was, do you it, have it was, that? It was in one season. It, it was yeah. the 96, 97 season, yeah. And I, my memory is we lived in Argentina, um, you know, early, early days of the internet. I had like Argentina, the sports. Argentina, the hotbed of global basketball. 
Well, one of them for sure. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm nobody, nobody on this podcast is going to argue with you against, especially in that era in the middle school game. Are you kidding me? It was, <laughs> it was, I mean, there's documentary series to be made about that era of middle school basketball on the club scene. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I just remember waking up and reading, you'd bring home the USA Today from work, I, I believe, every day. Because I was like, I had the sports almanac on CD-ROM, also where in the world is Carmen San Diego, but that wasn't sports related. You get a little <laughs> bit of ESPN International, but I was reading the USA Today for the, the box scores and the standings updates. And I just expected, like, I thought 15 game win streaks were normal. I thought that's just the thing that you did. Cause that team sort of got to that point. And right now, every game I'm like, wow, we've won 11 or we should, we should win this next game, but we're not going to, you know, at seven, at eight, at nine, all these, I'm like, we're probably going to lose. Cause you just don't win this many games in a row all the time. I don't know. I think this team, like, obviously it's hard to compare against that 96 through 98 era at this point of the season, but they had kind of a looming Michael Jordan, kind of like we have a looming LeBron James, there's other teams. I just say I have not had more fun watching a jazz team play. They're just so fun. Top to bottom of the roster. There's not a guy on there that I like cringe or that I don't have fun watching, even if it, they're kind of fumbling their way through and trying to figure stuff out. Even if I'm frustrated that they pass up an open shot or that they're doing whatever they're doing, I, I think they're fun. And I feel I'm starting to feel as confident in them to win games as any other one that I can remember that, that 2008, team I loved I kept thinking oh if we could only be healthy but I don't want to come on here and blaspheme I never trusted Andre Kirilenko's health um and and in a hush and it was more soft whisper his mental makeup in the playoffs and I just it felt like we were always it felt like we were a piece away back then because the Lakers were so big once once the NBA um once the Memphis Grizzlies Grizzlies gifted them two championships by trading them Pau Gasol and Andrew Bynum, they just were so big. And I just never felt like I hoped, but I didn't feel like we could get over the hump. Um, I'm more optimistic now than I have been since then. Yeah, I agree. I'm no? right there with you. You, you believed mean, in that AK team all the way? I believed in AK. I always loved AK, but maybe now, thinking back on it, I can see where you're right. I don't know. I just feel like this team, maybe at the beginning of the season, Going off of last season, it felt like we needed um, another piece or maybe a different piece rather than another piece and moving people around. But just over this win streak, it's been so fun to see just how deep the Jazz are. Like Dad said, Juwan Morgan coming out of nowhere, having the game of his life, probably his best NBA game. Other, I mean, he started two games in the playoffs. Uh, he was really good in those, but this was, was really good. This was this, different. Yeah. He was walking um, into three. He was like, I'm going to take two dribbles and pop a straight on three. Pretty awesome. Yeah. I don't know. I think the Jazz are just fun, and they're looking really good, and the style of basketball that they're playing does just seem like – like we said with McKay last week, it, I, I mean, it seems like you should lose a back-to-back with the team, especially when they played a real back-to-back on the first night of the game. And it just – Felt like after watching those games, like, when are they going to lose? I mean, maybe they lose today, but maybe they don't ever lose again. Well, here, here's <laughs> my last – well, and, and I hope that's the case, Doug. I hope that's the case. 
I, I remember the the nineteen ninety started beginning of the nineteen ninety nine season. The Jazz won eleven. I maybe it was ten, but I think they won their first ten or eleven games. It might have been ten, but on the radio, somebody said, "Are they ever going to lose?" I on the on one of the Colin shows, and people are going, "Okay, let's not let, let's let's come back down to earth here." But this is this is my last comparison. Ninety three to the 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 ninety three ninety four season. And then the 94, 95, 95, 96, all three of those years, the Jazz were killing it. They, they, they were a great team and they were, they were part of the national conversation of could they make it to the finals. Three years until they got to those two years where they made it to the finals. We're at, we're at that fourth year right now. So yep. 2017, 2018, 2019, now the 2021 season, it's been three years that we've been a part Someone's always mentioning the Jazz. They, they could be there. This this is the fourth year. This this to me uh, is the magic year. You know what? On that point, I, I did want to bring this up with you, Dad, is because I what I'm wondering: Are we at the fourth year, or are we in that stretch? Because that stretch, that team was a bounce of a ball away several times. They could they never got to the finals, but that Sonic series, they were right in there. The Blazers, that was winnable. Yeah. Um, they, they were, they were right there, but interestingly enough, when Jerry Sloan retired, I think, um, they had asked him about getting over the hump or maybe it was during, maybe it was pre-retirement, but I remember an interview and he, he was like, well, the difference was we got another great player. We got Jeff Hornacek. And I remember just him being so matter of fact about that. And I thought that was so interesting. And it just makes me wonder, do, is that what Mike Conley is now, like from last year to this year? And are we just there then? Or, or are we, you know, and I think I tend to think we are because we're, the other thing here is that great player is also the continuing evolution of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Clare. Well, I'm glad you threw an evolution. I've, I've, I'm with you little. that we're sort of been knocking on the door, knocking, but all those teams had a shot. But we need to throw in a little Charles Darwin here because it it is evolution. But I think it's mental evolution right now. Last year, physically, the Jazz, they they, they should have beat Denver. I mean, that was mental. That was mental weakness that they couldn't win one more game in three against Denver. They they had the pieces. And and, and we were missing – we were even in the bubble, we were missing Bogdanovich. But but I think – they're, they need to overcome that mental toughness and, or strengthen that mental toughness. And I, I think this is the year they're going to do it. I, they, they, I think they've got all the pieces they need. And if they could get it, and I was thinking that same comment about one more piece, who could that next piece be? But I think they have the pieces. I, I just think, I just I think, think mentally right. they have to say, we're bigger, better, faster, smarter than everyone else. And we hit threes better. And Doug says if we hit 23s in a game, we're going to win. And I think that's that's what they're doing. Agreed. All around. Yep. I, I, I guess this, the sum of this whole thing is that we can still say that sports are fun. Um, and yep. that the Jazz are really fun. Um, that, that there's a lot of fun basketball to be watched this season. So, I, I don't know. You, you can't – you cannot temper our excitement on this podcast. Because if if you're listening to the pod parents right now, we're we're all excited. <laughs> and 2021 right. is really fun. 2021 right. is really fun. 
And that segues into the what we need to go to next, which is I. Hashtag social media. Yay! All right, Doug, what do you got for social media? Got anything fun? Um, I do have some fun things. Okay, so I, the one that I really liked is from David Locke. And if you like the jazz, you know who David Locke is. But David Locke always talks about the numbers. Um, and his, this is a tweet from a couple of days ago um, where he said, what do you do as a Utah jazz fan when every metric you look at tells you not to calm down? And I think David Locke is just thinking for all of us because it's really like, like you said, okay, um, teams don't always like go on a 15 game winning streak. So we're bound to lose, but it's like, we're playing so good. Could we ever lose? And of course there are losses to be had and, um, always improvements to be had and stuff, but, um, it just seems like everything like, okay, Donovan's Donovan's out. Um, this is going to be rough. Oh wait, everyone else is really good. Joe's out. This could be rough. Oh wait, everyone's really good. Um, and it's just like, man, um, in the words of Mark Jackson, like mama, there goes that man. Except for Mama, there goes that team. So, jazz are really fun. I'm gonna allow that. Like, I just want you to know that quoting Mark Jackson in the <laughs> in a positive way in the social media segment teeters on the edge of me just muting you. But that one, <laughs> that that particular use, uh, I, so I can't even because I don't think he's done a jazz game. Forget that guy. Jazz game very <laughs> recently, but I was watching some highlight. It was probably like the. Charlotte Hornets, LaMelo Ball, because that's all that's on ESPN these days. But (laughs) he said that, and I was like, man, does he he say anything else? I I mean, come on. Hand down, man down. That's a grown man move. And I don't know. Yeah, I mean, really interesting segment. I would just say on the the Hema Hamuli featured Hitting the High Notes episode where they talked about uh, some Sarah Todd stories about Mark Jackson and him like putting his hands on people and trying to heal them as a coach of the Warriors. He's a weird dude. Oh, um, <laughs> that is weird. He's a weird dude. Um, all right, you got anything else? I got a few. Yeah, yeah, I've got two more. Yeah. Um, so another one was from an unlikely source, um, Ryan Hollins. Um, ha! D- yeah. Did you see this one? Yeah, yeah, go for it. So he's tweeting at Kendrick Perkins and he said, I'm tired of Rudy Gobert hate when he went off for 29 and 20. Um, if a point guard had 29 points and 20 assists, there would be no questions. Um, and I love it. I love I love Rudy Gobert getting national media love. Um, Ryan Hollins like sneakily says things sometimes that I'm like, OK, um, I can roll with that. And that was one of them. I guess I generally am not a Ryan Hollins fan, but I heard I, I I liked that tweet and then tweeted the Jazz are officially or, or if you want to know how good we're playing, we're playing. I just liked a Ryan Hollins. Tw- we're playing at the I just liked a Ryan Hollins tweet level or something. Yeah. Like yeah. Because <laughs> uh, he's one of those guys is sometimes but he's like definitely steps above the Kendrick Perkins uh, level of of analysis. Right. No, no, no. I'm with, I'm with you for sure. And I said Kendrick you're... Perkins famously Kendrick Perkins famously um, predicted that the Jazz would miss the playoffs this year. So that, that's the kind of analysis he's bringing. Yeah. Anyone who 
Yeah, there have been like a lot of tweets on on showing like people's preseason picks on the Jazz being the most disappointing team or something like that. And right. and it's just like, did, like, do are they throwing a dart at the board or what are they watching? I don't know, but don't have to dwell on it. Um, then my last one is from Tim McAhoon. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> Tim McMahon. Um, <laughs> That's a throwback to the OGs of the pod, the loyal, loyal listeners. Hashtag, if you know, you know. Um, (laughs) And this is a stat that I actually talked about, too, that it's so fun we're bringing it back. Um, And this is what he said earlier, but it still plays true after 11 games. Um, The Jazz have trailed in fourth quarters for a grand total of 57 seconds um, in their 10-game win streak per ESPN stats. Um, and Mark, we don't like to do math over the air on the pod, but tw- 12 minutes per quarter, 11 games, 12 times 11 is a number that I'm sure you could do in your head, <laughs> <laughs> but minus 57 seconds. 122, that, 122. That's so 121 out of the 122 we're winning. Um, that's, that's, that's a big deal. So it's a nice batting average. I like it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, can I piggyback on you on your Tim McAhoon with my own Tim McAhoon here? Tim McMahon tweet. Um, again, he's an ESPN writer. He covers the jazz among other teams, the Mavericks too. Like those are, he's like the Texas teams, Utah, some others. Um, he put, he tweeted this on the 27th of January, Utah's Joe Ingles, who leads the NBA in smart assery. And then quoted Joe Ingles saying, it's just a really fun group to play with. We play for each other. There's no egos involved. It's not as unsalvageable as some people think, which was, you know, call back to Rudy and Joe. I everything. There's a lot of levels to how much I love that tweet, but uh, I love each of those levels. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Here's uh, th- These are all pretty fun ones, and that's what happens when you, you're on an 11-game win streak. Um, so I've talked about this before, but Moni at Monologue um, – an old uh, one of the original SLC dunk folks, I believe, um, does this thing where she recaps the f- other fan bases tweets about the jazz during the game. You know, we've talked about mm-hmm. this before. Someone responded to one of hers and said, someone should keep track of all the Quinn looks like in all these threads. And she retweeted it and said, my fave will forever be. He looks like a villain in a movie where the hero is a dog. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, gosh. I can barely even read that out loud. That makes maybe that's more funny to me because I have children who watch every movie where the hero the is, a is a dog. Like that, that's that segment of Disney Plus has been well trod in our house. But man, that makes that tickles my funny bone um, to the extreme. Um, can I give you just two more? Yeah, and then I've got a serious a serious end to social media. Um, this one was, I thought, pretty funny. This is from Hallie Oop at Hallie G99. Story time. I met, this was because the Jazz played the Mavericks. I made Trey Burke laugh once. A friend a friend and I met him in the elevator of U of U's primary, primaries. His iPhone buzzed. He checks it. Wrong one. He pulls out a second iPhone. Me, play a play. Trey <laughs> chuckles, smiles sheepishly. The end. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome i'm sorry i probably didn't read that well but that was a funny tweet to me and then the last one which this is this is apex jazz twitter in my opinion uh from mitch henline at mitch henline and he tweeted 
uh, two pictures and it says Utah Mavericks greater than Dallas Mavericks. And there's a picture of Mavericks, Maverick, the gas station and Luka Doncic. That's awesome. (laughs) That's pretty good. Um, Maybe that's an alternative name they would have considered other than the jazz uh, back in the day. If it wasn't already taken. Uh, Can I give you one last one? That's uh, more of a serious note. Yep. Doug, if you don't mind. Um, this week in the middle of the Knicks game, I was listening to their broadcast for part of it, and Mike Breen was doing it. He does all the Knicks games on the Yes Network. Um, and he announced that Sekou Smith passed away. And Sekou Smith, if you're an NBA fan, has probably been a part of your life for a while. He He's written for NBA.com. Uh, he's been on a lot of platforms, but for a long time, he wrote the power rankings um, and would do a weekly synopsis and a, a regular part of my life as regular as almost anything was Monday morning looking at the ESPN.com power rankings with Mark Stein and then reading the NBA.com power rankings with Sekou Smith. And it just shocked me and floored me. And I, they mentioned it was COVID related. I, I'm not sure the details. Um, I honestly, I have a bookmarked tweet from Lang Whitaker. That's an article about, about Sekou that I'm planning on reading today, but I just wanted to say, he was one of my favorite people to read, um, talk about basketball. Uh, and so rest in peace to, to him and a big thanks, you know, to him for the work that he did. Cause he, he made being an NBA fan more fun for me. Yeah, I think that was perfect. I was, I just thought that was so crazy. Um, he's young. He's like 48. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't even know what to add to that, but yeah um thoughts to him and his family um and definitely someone that will be missed in the nba community as far as just his presence and his words so that's just crazy um but yeah i mean i i i do want to just come back around and say man what a fun week um you know, it's one that I would have been excited to read what he would have said about in the NBA.com about the Jazz. Like, that's the type of thing that it was. But this was a fun week. Really fun having our parents on. Um, super stoked for next week. Uh, we'll see if the Nuggets do anything funky against the Jazz today and we have to throw in something at the end of this. Otherwise, we'll talk about it next week. And, Doug, uh, you know, you were undefeated this week just like the Jazz. Uh, keep up the good work, my man. So, Doug, Donovan Mitchell gets it, gets concussed versus the Knicks because, you know, they're a bunch of dirty cheapskates. Um, can't play for the next two games. I'm going in thinking Joe Ingles is coming into the starting lineup. What's his mindset? What's going on here? And it, the way it all played out really made me hearken back to some – I mean, we talked earlier in the podcast about the storied uh, basketball scene in Buenos Aires, Argentina – at sort of the middle school, elementary, middle school, and high school levels of the mid to late nineties. I mean, people talk about it a lot, Um, but just as, just as heated was the little league baseball scene there, as you may recall. Um, And I was on this team called the Toronto Blue Jays and uh, we were good. We were good. We made it to the championship game, but before we got there, we had one team that just um, sort of mopped the floor with us twice our coach, um, legendary hothead of the scene, but strategic mastermind was was our dad. Um, good, several umpire altercations. I might have been kicked out once. Uh, somebody 
God, I don't know. The words were exchanged. One of my favorite memories is we're in practice one time and somebody kicked a soccer ball onto our field and dad went to just destroy it, but, but toe poked it and it destroyed it clearly in the opposite direction to another field. And it was legendary. Everybody on the team thought it was on purpose. I knew that he meant to kick it back to them. Um, <laughs> it was one of my favorite stories. But so we're coming up on this big game and he has to travel for business. So nice commitment. Um, maps out, uh, maps out the plan for the game. And we had to, we had to call on the reserves. We had our Joe Ingles step up, um, and coach the game. And it, it was our mother and, uh, mom, as I recall, the final score of that game was 14 to one in favor of, uh, the hometown favorites us. And I just wanted to get your mindset when that happened, because I think it's probably the same mindset that Joe Ingles carried in to starting, um, those two games with Donovan Mitchell gun. Well, you're exactly right, Marcus. It was a huge <laughs> win, and it was a shock to everybody. The interesting thing was that your coach, of course, your dad, had mapped out exactly right the whole game series for me to coach every inning, who to put in, who to start, and where they should be. So he was so nervous. This was the biggest game of the season. He just didn't quite trust me to take over. But... We got there and I put everybody in the place as exactly as he said, and then threw that paper away. Yeah, that was my memory. You crinkled that thing up. I think you nice. might have put it on fire. I think you, I think, I think before the game, here's this, forget this. We're going to beat these guys. That's my memory. Yep. Okay, I got to jump in real fast here. This, this isn't a, your segment. This, this was a unique baseball series because our season and and league because you could you could take pictures of a pitcher in and and take them out and then bring them back in another inning later they, they didn't they they weren't disqualified to come back and so i had thought through every inning and who should be pitching in each inning and then mom tosses all my notes oh man i love that well <laughs> we had one incredible pitcher and it just happened to be our son mark and i trust heard of him Explicitly and just thought if we could leave him in most of the game, we would win. And I was exactly right because they only got one run on March. I mean, it felt a lot like Joe Ingles coming in and being like, hey, I know Donovan's been running things a certain way, but I'm just going to run pick and roll with Rudy Gobert and I'm going to do it however I want. I'm going to just jack up some threes. And I felt like, felt like that was you, Mom. I, could you, were you putting yourself in Joe Ingles headspace as you were watching that game, like, like I was Absolutely. doing for you. I mean, I love Joe <laughs> and I think we're on the same wavelength for sure, but I had sat through all of the games and all of the practices and I had some opinions from the bench that I felt like would be successful for our team. And it turns out that I was exactly right. You are. And I've always heard Doug say, if my mom were an NBA player, she would be Joe Ingles. <laughs> well, mom, the other reason we brought you on is because we have this fun thing on our blog, cowhideglobe.com, which has been a little dormant lately, and, and I'd like to resuscitate, but it's it's a thread called Jazz Memories, and we've had several fun um, guest bloggers, and I've thrown a couple on there, and um, we'd welcome anybody listening to the pod, if you have a fun jazz memory, you can look at some of the ones on there, but you don't have to. Um, if you write it, um, there's a way to submit it on the site, or if you uh, DM me on Twitter or whatever, we can um, get it by email and we'd love to put it on. But one of the best ones we ever had was called Tales, Jazz Memories, Tales of a Jazz Mom. 
by Diane Hintzey. And uh, I just wanted to reemphasize that and, and hit on some of these stories. Um, is there one on here, if you were going to tease people, and we don't need to give them the whole whole thing so people go read it, but that um, was one of your favorites uh, among these jazz memories, Mom? Well, of course, I love the memories of my boys the most. You know, I think they're really fun. And, and I want you to go read those because they're, they're so fun. But maybe I should, for the listeners, they'd probably be more interested in hearing the one about Greg Ostertag. What do you think? I think everybody, I've never heard anybody turn down a Greg Ostertag story. And I'm okay. not going to Well, I, I am, I was a big Greg Ostertag fan always. But Michelle, our daughter, our oldest daughter, her senior year, she was a student body officer at Viewmont High School. And they were doing a fundraising for a little school, an underprivileged school in Salt Lake. And so as part of that fundraiser, they set a table out in front of the arena outside that during one of the jazz games and they were trying to collect donations. And let me just say, it didn't go very well for them. They did not get a lot of positive response. So the game ended, they're just kind of folding up things, getting their table put away and all their things and out walks Greg Ostertag. And he walked up to the table and he said, what are you doing? And they explained everything to him. And right there on the spot, he took off his shoes and handed them to him and said, take my shoes, auction them off and use this money for your fundraiser. And I, of course, I thought that was the, such a wonderful thing that he did. And I knew that it would be good response for, for their auction. So as we were talking about that, Kai said, well, I want the shoes. And so I just tucked that away in my mind and off they went, they, they had their auction. So I said to Michelle, I'm gonna offer this much and I want those shoes. And anyway, what I offered won the bid. We didn't tell Kai. We Deep pockets, Diane. <laughs> <laughs> we thought it would be a fun Christmas surprise that he would, he, he completely forgot about the whole thing. So Christmas day, I had this big box. I wrapped up the shoes and they were, I'm sure at least a size 18, they, they, they're big. And uh, I wrapped them up and all the kids knew so we're watching Kai open this box of shoes and we're all so excited. So he takes off the wrapping paper, looks in the box and, and he just has a weird look on his face. It was nothing that I expected him to be so excited and remember that he wanted those shoes and everything about it. But he just had this funny look on his face and he holds up a shoe and it's huge. And he just looks at me like, what? You know, how could you get my size so wrong? <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, Kai, Greg Ostertag. And then he, and then he burst out laughing and he, of course, he remembered. I mean, it would have been hard for you, dad, who's used to your size 16s to see those size 18s. Am I right? Um, I had a couple of things there that I need to, to comment on, mom, which I love that story so much. And I would tell anybody listening, if you want to see a picture of the shoes, it's there's one on our Cal High Globe Instagram account. Um, but uh, I would like unsurprising that the fan base that never cheers louder than when free Chick-fil-A is on the line would be stingy in a fundraiser outside of the stadium. Come on, jazz fans, donate yeah. to the, donate to the high school kids. Um, and secondly, right. I don't think anybody who's followed um, mine and Doug's love affair with 
George Niang on Twitter would be surprised to know that you, our mother, was Greg Ostertag of, of some controversy's favorite, biggest fan. But in this house, we loved Mark Eaton. We loved Greg Ostertag. Yeah. Not in the same way, um, but in a, a similar way. Yeah, we loved him. And the shoes, those shoes have probably been worn and tried on by every um, middle school, Centerville Junior High <laughs> friend that's ever been through our basement. Um, that's right. If, if you try them on in, in the house and get foot fungus, it's at your own risk. I mean, they've been, yeah. they've been passed around. But we love the tag. <laughs> um, Mom, I, I love that. I think everybody should read this. It's, it's There's a lot of fun memories in there, including a, Doug at his first... Uh, WNBA game, which which warms my heart. Um, but I, what I want to know, as a as a you know a devout jazz fan for for a while, what would you leave off? What's one fun jazz memory that you have um, that you know only the listeners and not the readers are going to get? Well, I, I think the listeners should know this, and that is that I'm sure. You know, all of your listeners have a lot of experience with Father of the Pod Kai, who we love dearly. But I don't think they really realized they had a mother of the pod, Diane. <laughs> and the truth is, I know that everyone thinks our boys are big jazz fans because of the influence of their father, which is only partially true. Because the unknown fact is that I was a jazz fan before we were married. And the real truth is that I remember when the jazz came to Utah, I remember it's one of those moments in time in history that you never forget. It was so amazing and incredible to hear that we were getting an NBA team and it was um, unforgettable. And so I remember the little bit of the discussion about whether or not they should keep the jazz name. Jazz was perfect in New Orleans, but did it really represent what we wanted in Utah? So there was some discussion about that, and they kept it, of course. And I, I was always glad because I, I well, as I recall, you were big into the Salt Lake jazz scene at, at that time, at all the nightclubs, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, playing a little jazz piano in your home. I mean, I, yeah. the, my, my memory is, is it was you and Grandma really pushing to say, "Hey, we got a Sam Battistone. Don't don't screw this name thing up. We we, we got a strong jazz scene here." I liked it. I liked it. There was some controversy about the Jazz Note logo. You know, that has kind of evolved over the years. But actually, I really love that one, too. But they wanted to represent more the Utah and the mountains and the arches and that kind of thing, which we've seen that evolve some. But I just want to say one thing, and that is one of the greatest benefits of having the Jazz come is that we also got the world's best sports broadcaster, Hot Rod Hundley. Oh. I loved him so much. And honestly, I believe that my love for the game came from listening to him. And really, you got to love it, baby. He was amazing. And I, I really want to hats off to him because I think he helped grab that fan base from his excitement and his love of the game. And so I just wanted to include him in the memories. Oh, that's that perfect. Amazing. We love Hot Rod here, but I was, you caught me off guard with that, Mom. I, this, uh, I mean, we literally have a website called cowhideglobe.com. Um, so, yeah, it's perfect. From well, we, love, we love the pod. We love the podcast. 
We, of course, love the jazz. We love our boys, and we're just super happy to be a part of it. And we love Hot Rod Hunley. We love Hot Rod. <laughs> yeah, and we love our family. We like to say that bl blood is thicker than water over here. That's right. And, and the jazz are in the blood, for sure. That's right. That's right. That's right. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on, um, and thanks for just putting a gentle push and a mild arc on that on that closing statement. I got nothing else to say. This was twos and threes, everybody. Thanks very much. Boom.